and Matthew chapter 23, Luke 11, we're going to be in verse number 37. As I uh, previously mentioned, usually I would, my instinct is to preach a sermon that is in line with something special happening in the day, such as a baby dedication. But next Sunday evening, we're going to focus our attention on the home and the family and the local church and how all of that works together. Today, we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke. So Luke 11 in verse 37 is where we're going to begin. We'll spend just a moment in Matthew 23, I believe, is a good uh, support passage for this. Luke 11 in verse 37. And tell you what, let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray now. And then we've got a lot of scripture to cover today. We're going to try to finish the chapter. So let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, thank you today. It's already been a special day. Thank you, Lord, for allowing these... uh, or helping these families, giving them the courage they need to take this big step, this public step. Uh, Lord, their desire to raise their kids in a Christian home, in a biblical home, help them. Bless the service now, this sermon as we approach the scripture. Father, open it up to us, speak to our hearts, and Lord, you know what people need to hear. I don't. So Father, help me to just preach the word, and my prayer is that the word will then preach to them. Father, fill all of us with your spirit. Lead us, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today, let's begin reading in verse number 37. The Bible says here, And as he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him, and he went in and sat down to meet. So Jesus has finished his preaching for the day, and now he's going to take a meal with an unlikely Uh, an unlikely fellow uh, with a Pharisee. You don't see Jesus doing this all that much. Verse 38, and when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Now, I also would uh, raise an eyebrow if somebody didn't wash their hands after, you know, after a long day coming in from out shaking hands with hundreds of people and sit down to the table with no washing. But I wouldn't think anything spiritual about it. The Pharisee thought it was a spiritual problem. I would just think, you know, hygiene. But they thought this was a sin. In verse 39, And the Lord said unto him, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. Ye fools, did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? Can I just pause for a moment there and say that Jesus is either the worst or the best dinner guest ever. (laughs) You've invited this man into your home to have dinner, and not five minutes in, he says, you bunch of fools. (laughs) That sets the tone for the rest of the dinner. Come down to verse number 52. We're going to, don't worry, we're skipping a few verses. We're going to come back and preach our way through them, but... Verse 52, woe unto you lawyers, still at the same dinner table, mind you, (laughs) same event, woe unto you lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in, ye hindered. And as he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently. And to provoke him to speak many things, laying wait for him, and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. By the time we get to the end of this chapter, it shows us why that Pharisee had invited Jesus in for this meal. It wasn't to get to know Jesus. It wasn't because they were seeking truth or perhaps genuinely curious about something they had heard him say or seen him do. They were looking for fault in the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is strangely ironic because the religious crowd of Jesus' day was the source of most of that society's problems. The ills of that society came from this crowd and yet they had, they had the audacity to look for fault in the spotless Lamb of God. Hold your place here and I want you to compare verse 52 with Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 13. Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 13. Please understand that the chapters are very similar, but they are happening at two different times. 
the very stern rebuke that Jesus gave to the Pharisee and all of his companions in his own home in Luke 11, that is a separate occasion than what we're reading in Matthew 23. Matthew 23 happened publicly down near the temple. He's rebuking the same category of people, maybe not the exact same Pharisees were there, but sure enough, Pharisees and scribes the same. Matthew 23, look at verse 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. So I just want to give you those two verses to compare In Matthew chapter 23, he says, you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. In Luke 11, 52, he says, you take away the key of knowledge. These two things go together. In order for anybody to enter into the kingdom, they must have a personal knowledge of God. That is a personal relationship where they know the true God as he has been manifested or declared by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know that version of God, then you do not have the knowledge that you need to walk with him, nor to walk into the kingdom one day. So today's sermon is called Disappearing the Key of Knowledge. And I'm taking it from Luke 11 and verse 52. He says, "Ye have taken away the key of knowledge. The key they need to enter into a relationship with God and which would eventually end you up in the kingdom of heaven, that key is knowledge. And these scribes and Pharisees, they had taken away that key. They had disappeared it. Once you take away the key, listen, the door is locked. You take away the key, you've shut the door. You've you've made it to where neither you nor anyone can enter in. Let let me just take you back to, to millennia Put yourself in these people's shoes. Let's say the Lord Jesus comes to you and says this. You cannot come in. But you are also the reason that all the people around you are not coming in. It's one thing for you to hear the awful words, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. What was the problem? They didn't have the right knowledge. They didn't have a personal knowledge of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew about him. Did I say it right? They they knew about him. They'd heard some things about him. It wasn't that they were completely ignorant of the terminology, but they did not know him on a personal level. Somebody had disappeared the key to knowing God in the proper way. How do you disappear that key? Think about this. God Almighty sent His Son. This is God manifested in human form, and He came to explain God to us. How do you miss it? How do you somehow vanish the key? Because everything you need to know about God is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. He'll go in and out and find pasture. Jesus said, you want to get to God? I'm the only way. And somehow they had managed to shut the door, disappear the key, and now they are not entering in. And nobody that came in contact with them They were also struggling and sometimes failing to get in. What disappears the key of knowledge? Let me give you my outline today. It's three things. I want you to right away recognize one commonality. The first thing is religious ritual. The second thing is religious hypocrisy. And the third thing is religious pride. Do you see the one consistent thing that shows up in all of that? There's religious ritual. Religious hypocrisy, religious pride. Let's take a look at our passage today. Today, Luke 11, let's begin at verse 41. Luke 11 and verse 41. We've already read down to verse 40. They're making the outside clean, but not the inside. Verse 40, don't you know that God's concerned about the inside also? Verse 41, but rather, 
Here's what they were doing. Give alms. That's like an offering. Give alms of such things as ye have, and behold, all things are clean unto you. But woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of God. Watch carefully at the end of verse 42. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Verse 43, woe unto you Pharisees, for ye love the uppermost seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets. Notice carefully in in this passage here, Jesus is not against going to the temple. He's not against going to the altar, giving sacrifices. He's not against the synagogue. He's not against outward cleanliness. He doesn't rebuke them for that. He didn't say that you've made a mistake by tithing. What he does rebuke is that they emphasized those things and somehow disappeared or ignored the truly weightier matters of the law. The really important things, now listen, God would like obedience in every way, but God wants obedience for the right reasons, not mindless, heartless ignorant obedience where we just go through the motions and somehow then imagine that because I did something without any heart to it, God must be happy. Religious ritual by itself is not enough. Self-righteousness is not enough. Just going to the synagogue, just giving the tithe, just praying and fasting because the Pharisees did that often. Those religious motions, are, it's not enough to develop a personal relationship with God. Can I say it like this? They were holding the sword backwards. Here's my sword. You got to be real careful which end you hold the sword on. Right? Swords are built to where they're perfectly balanced. Right? If you, if you hold them in the right spot. If you hold it at the right end, a sword, although you can still feel the weight of it, you know how important this thing is, you feel the weight of it. Once you start to swing it, that sword starts to swing itself because you're holding it correctly. But you hold that thing at the wrong end, not only is it clunky, it's dangerous. And, and here's what I mean to say by this. Let, let me flesh that out for you a little bit. If you are holding on to the grip, you obviously understand what that sword's about. You know why you have the sword. Then you know what to do with it. So what had happened with these Pharisees is they knew the what, but they didn't know the why. They knew what to do. What they were doing wasn't wrong. What they were doing was somewhere in the Bible. Tithing, giving alms, praying, synagogues. All of this stuff was okay. He said, go ahead and do it, but you need to understand why you're doing it. They were doing the what without the why. They're holding the wrong end of the sword. And they end up hurting themselves. How many times have people just gotten fed up with what they think Christianity is because it's just a bunch of doing the same thing week in and week out, day in and day out. Friend, you're holding the wrong end of the sword. Once you grip onto the right end of it and say, God, what's important to you is judgment. The love of God. In Matthew 23, he talks about faith and mercy. God, I'm holding on to my sword because I want to know you. I want to know right from wrong. That's judgment. I want to understand your love towards me. I don't want to just say, well, God loves me. How do you know he loves you? Well, I just feel like he does. How about we dive in and ask the Lord exactly how deep that love goes, how special that love is. Jesus, we know that it wasn't uncommon for him to sit with publicans and harlots, the worst of society at that time. You remember who rebuked him for doing that? This religious crowd. Why did Jesus sit with publicans and harlots, with tax collectors and prostitutes? Why did he sit and have a meal with them? He wanted to talk to them about repentance. He was in no way condoning what they were doing. He didn't sit there to make them feel better about their lifestyle. He he spent time with them so that he could tell them how great and amazing the love of God was. And also, might I draw your attention to verse 42, Not just the love of God, but judgment. 
to say God takes sin seriously. And, and Jesus wanted to communicate that to the people, to say, listen, the way you're living, one day you are going to stand before God and give an account for those things. But there is a way back to God. It's not all just judgment and condemnation. Even though there's judgment, God has revealed to you that he wants to have mercy. His love is still available. He can reconcile you to himself. That's why Jesus had the meals with those sinners. But what did the Pharisees say? How dare you eat with them? Jesus responded to them and said, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Now, I don't know if the Pharisees put all this together. He had that conversation with them about a year and a half before Luke 11. I wonder if this Pharisee, as Jesus walked into the house, remembered, oh, if Jesus is eating with me, it means I'm sick. And the physician is making a house call. (laughs) I wonder if he put all that together. Because even though you may not be living an outwardly wicked life, even though you're going through religious motions and rituals, perhaps you grew up with it. You grew up in whatever church you want to name of a Christian variety, and you've gone through the motions. Baptism, nachmal, confirmation. You make your list. That does not mean that you're not a sinner and that you do not need to repent. Jesus is sitting down with these men to show them where their sins are found so that they can also repent. They had it in their mind, please listen to this part, that by wearing clean clothes, they somehow had a clean bill of spiritual health. They thought that by paying the doctor bill, you automatically get healthy. Now, how many of you know that's foolish? (laughs) Paying the doctor bill actually makes you more sick sometimes, right? That just adds on. That's that's a whole other set of problems that come in. Do do you understand why I'm saying this? Imagine going to the doctor. Doctor, I'm sick. The doctor gives you some pills, gives you some changes to your diet, some things to do, and rather you go home, put on a new set of clothes, and pay the doctor bill by EFT and say, now I'm better. What well, you got to do what the doctor ordered. You can't just ignore the cure that the doctor gave you and say, well, I think that a clean set of clothes and paying the doctor bill, your tithe, that ought to do it. That's not how you get right. You disappear the key of knowledge. By making somebody think that just because you went through a few religious motions, now you're saved. It's wonderful when parents dedicate their children. But each of these couples that came forward, they know this. We've already had this conversation. I'm saying it out loud so the whole church is aware of it. What we did today did not save these babies. These babies that got dedicated today, they are not Christians. They are in a Christian home. One day, these children are going to grow up and under the tutelage and mentorship of their parents and by the grace of God sitting in a church that preaches the gospel, they are going to hear the wonderful news that Jesus died for their sins and now a personal relationship with God is possible because of the blood of Jesus Christ that can remove the sin problem and bring a sinner back to God. And that child, that individual will have to make a personal decision to do something with Jesus. They cannot look back and say, well, years ago, Ma and Pa performed a religious ritual, and now I'm part of the kingdom. Now I know God. That To make them think the ritual was enough is to disappear the key of knowledge. To make them think that the door is open when it's actually slammed shut. When the Pharisees and scribes rebuked Jesus for eating with sinners, publicans, and harlots, Jesus said, guys, go and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He told them to go and study Hosea 6, verse 6, where that's quoted, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. I want the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. He said, I want you to know me. I don't want you to just go through the religious motions just to do them. I want you to know me. He said, I'd rather have mercy than sacrifice. What does he mean? That's why Jesus follows it up and says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. How does a sinner find repentance? A sinner opens up the word of God 
or has the word of God opened up to him. And he realizes, I have sinned against a holy God. And therefore, I am not under his blessing. I'm under his condemnation. I'm not in a good place with God. I'm in the wrong place with God. The wrath of God abides on me, and I deserve it because I have broken his law. Now he's understanding judgment, which is a big deal to God. And and that sinner then has to think, how can I make myself right with God? And no religious ritual is enough to cover his sins. And then God says, but here's my son. I'm offering him as the payment for your sins. If you'd like to find mercy, you'll find it through my son. But you have to change your mind about what you've been doing. You see, when we enter into the word of God, we get judgment, we get mercy, we get faith. He tells you what to believe and how to practice it. And then you find the true love of God. And once you have gotten a grip on those important things, you you have a handle on your sword. You're holding it at the right end, and then the things you ought to do, you can continue doing the religious things, but you'll be doing them for the right reasons, an outflow of a personal relationship with God, and not a replacement for the personal relationship with God. These religious Pharisees, scribes, they were more interested in what looked right than what was right. And because they had the praise of men, they thought that was enough. Religious ritual will never be enough. But, but when a person thinks it is, that's one way to disappear the key of knowledge. But there's another thing that does it. Look with me, please, at verse number 44. Religious hypocrisy will do it. Religious hypocrisy. Verse 44, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, The only time this word shows up in the passage here, hypocrites. For ye are as graves which appear not, and the men that walk over them are not aware of them. My my pastor used to say this all the time. He said, I'd walk right past you looking for a man. (laughs) That's that's an insult and a half, right? I'd walk right past you looking for a man. (laughs) Verse 45, then answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, now understand a lawyer and a scribe is very much the same thing, just a few duties were different, but then answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, Master, thus saying, thou reproachest us also. And he said, woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laid men with burdens grievous to be borne, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers." He says, you are making life difficult for people. You are piling on to them things that they should do. They have laws down to how you clip your toenails. They have laws about riding on an escalator on a Saturday. I mean, these Jews have laws to cover everything you could imagine. You're not allowed to eat cheese on your hamburger. You can't have a cheeseburger. I mean, they got laws for everything. Now, in private, these scribes and Pharisees, they wouldn't even follow their own laws. You know what I found? A lot of people, when they approach the Christian life, they get a bit discouraged right away because they think it's just a long list of rules and regulations and all this extra stuff that I have to add to my already busy life. You know what's wrong? Somebody handed you the wrong end of the sword. They said, and and sometimes it comes from the Bible, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they're just making stuff up. You ought to do this, you ought to do this, you ought to do this. And they're just piling it on, and it becomes grievous to serve the Lord. But the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, the commandments of of God are not grievous. It should not be a burden to you to do what God has commanded you to do. Whether that's reading the Bible, praying, giving, passing out tracts, coming to church... There's there's still a list. These ought ye to have done. But if you're holding the correct end of the sword, they're not as heavy. As a matter of fact, it begins to, as you move the sword, it begins to fall into place and the sword kind of moves itself. You find out this is what it was built to do. This isn't so bad. It's actually making my life a lot easier as I go. These folks were making it heavy. Why? 
pile it on, pile it on because they wanted it to look good. Look at my long list of rules that I claim to keep. But in private, they didn't keep it. In verse number 44, you see there where Jesus likened these people to graves. On the inside, they didn't have anything going on. It sounded good on the outside, but they just wanted to look good. On the inside, there was actually nothing going on. Paul explained it like this in Titus. He said, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. Saying one thing and doing another, which in verse 44, to talk about people walking over a grave, this would be a very powerful illustration for a Jew. Because if you're a Jew and you touch a grave, you are supposed to be unclean for seven days. That's actually in the book of Numbers. So what Jesus is telling them is you guys are like graves, and anybody that comes near you, you are messing them up, and you don't even know that you're messing them up, and they don't even know how much you're messing them up. But people walk away from you worse than how they came. What what an insult. I wonder how many people it is now that have gone away from church, gone away from God, the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ, because they came up against somebody that talked a good game but didn't back it up with their life. How many times have you heard it? How many times have you come across somebody that said, I will not go back to church because there's just too many hypocrites? I do not think it's fair to use that excuse. I don't think it's fair to blame Jesus for the poor behavior of some hypocrite. But but can we at least acknowledge that when you talk a good game and don't back it up, you are doing untold damage? Untold damage. I think the best way for you to teach people about the Lord, what, what, what are we trying to give them? A key of knowledge. We're trying to say, this is how you know God. The best way to do that is actually not just saying it, but listen, illustrate it with your life. Let, let them see what a Christian looks like, and even without you saying it, just let them see how you interact with others in your life. Illustrate it. And I think today, since we're having a baby dedication today, or had it, might I say, parents, please be mindful to do this with your kids. Your kids are going to see you day in and day out. Be careful not just to do the preaching in the home, but the practicing of your faith. It wasn't too long ago that the world was crazy with COVID. And without slipping down that, that uh, slope of all the politics and opinions that go with COVID and masks and vaccines, I don't intend to get into that. But I think you know that the world was quite engaged on whether or not you should wear a mask. And I, I tell you, you're welcome to have whatever opinion you want on it. I really don't, it makes no spiritual difference. I appreciate it, actually. If somebody's sick and wears a mask, thank you for that. I don't want your cooties. So I appreciate you being, you being thoughtful. But I remember watching an interview one time. It was going to be some sort of speech. And they had, you know, all the political leaders and certain doctors. And they were, you could see them on camera, backstage, mask down, Shaking hands. This was back in the day of social distancing and everybody, you know, the two meters in between each chair and all of that stuff. And backstage, all the big shots, no masks, or it's under their chin, you know, it's just a, a fake Bart down there. And then, and then they're shaking hands and talking with each other. And then as soon as they step out on the stage, they march out socially distanced, masks up, and they get up to the microphone with a mask on. You know what? I don't care what science you give me from that point on. I just saw you back there telling me that masks aren't that important. <laughs> so you can say what you want, and, and you come with whatever science you want. But if you're not going to wear the mask, don't step out and tell me to wear one. Does that make sense? Yeah. Folks, if you're going to tell other people that they need the Lord Jesus Christ, and you should, then you'd better put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh. Wear your Christianity. Let it be the filter for your life. But don't drive people away from the kingdom through making vain professions of things you don't actually possess. Lastly, can I start you at verse 47? We'll talk about religious pride. 
Religious ritual, religious hypocrisy. Let's talk about religious pride. Verse 47, woe unto you for ye build the sepulchers. Those are graves. You build the sepulchers of the prophets and your fathers killed them. Truly, ye bear witness that ye allow the deeds of your fathers. For they indeed killed them and ye build their sepulchers. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, and now Jesus is going to give a prophecy here. I will send them prophets and apostles. Now, when you read this in Matthew 23, he also says scribes. And I'll tell you why I bring that up. That's incredibly important. Apostles and prophets, who are they? Peter, James, John, Paul, Barnabas, etc. New Testament people. But scribes, you know what they were doing? Scribes were the ones copying down what the apostles had written, making copies of what we know as the Old and New Testament so that today you can have a Bible. And those scribes for the first several centuries of the church, they are responsible for the massive spread of the Word of God all over the then known world. Thousands, tens of thousands of copies of the Word of God handwritten by these scribes. Because that's how you get to know God. Jesus said, there were prophets that came before me. And now God has sent his son. And there are some preachers coming after me. And what they say and what they write is going to be copied and copied and copied. So that everybody can have a record of what Jesus taught and what the apostles taught. That's the key. But notice what he says, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. They are the tail end of a very long, gruesome process of people that rejected and rebelled against the word of God because they thought they knew better. They would not humble themselves. When God would send a man to say, Thus saith the Lord, they said, We don't need that. We got it figured out. And they would persecute and even kill that prophet. This generation was simply falling in line with what several other generations have been doing. They were the culmination of the problem. Verse 51, from the blood of Abel, Genesis chapter 3, Four, forgive me, Genesis 4. Unto the blood of Zacharias. You read about that in 2 Chronicles. That, friend, is the end of the Jewish Bible. Their Bible ends at 2 Chronicles, whereas our Old Testament ends at Malachi. From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple, verily I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. This generation had a problem with religious pride. And their pride, their, their, their pride led to a lack of self-awareness. Because they said this, and in Matthew 23, again, without turning to it, just let me tell you what Jesus said to him there. He quotes the Pharisees. He says, you guys say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. So he says, you guys say, well, if we would have lived back then, we wouldn't have killed the prophets. He said, but you're building up their tombs. You're finishing what they started. Do you not see that you're standing in the queue? Your forefathers were at the head of the line. You're at the back of the same line. And you're claiming, oh, no, no, no. If we would have lived back then, we wouldn't have, oh, we would have gotten it right. We would have accepted the word of God. He's saying, the Word of God is being preached to you right now and you're not accepting it. You're doing, you're making the same mistake that your forefathers made hundreds of years ago over and over again. Every time truth got presented to, uh, to them, they rebelled against it and thought, no, we're fine. We know enough about God. We were raised in a religious home. I've been in church my whole life. There's nothing new that you're going to tell me. And that religious pride, my friend, will shut the door to a personal relationship with God. You will grow no further. You will go no further. And you will hinder those around you from knowing God. You will make them think that there is a ceiling 
to knowing God. And once you arrive to this height, you've gone as far as you can go. Oh, you have, be- you have yet to begin to plumb the depths of the riches of knowing God. Take your Bibles, if you would. Turn to Zechariah chapter 1, please. Zechariah chapter 1. You can hold Luke. We will be back. Zechariah chapter 1. I won't keep you here long, but I'd like to show you a couple of verses in Zechariah 1, starting at verse number 2. I believe this very well explains the problem that the Pharisees had. They thought they were different from their forefathers. They thought we would know better. We have it figured out. In actual sense, they were making the same mistakes. Which, I think, supports the old adage. The only only thing that men learn from history is that men never learn from history. They're doing the same exact thing. What did they do? Let's take a look. Zechariah 1, verse 2. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Now, if that's not a verse that deals with ancestors, I don't know what is. Amen. I mean, you're welcome. That was free. I just put that in. That wasn't in my notes. I just throw that in for free. Verse 3, Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Can I please point out to you the order? He says, you turn unto me, and then God reacts and says, I will turn unto you. You draw nigh to God. Then he draws nigh to you. You repent. Then you are chosen into God's family. But the choice is given. Now some people will get hardened in pride and say, oh, no, I don't need that. No, no, I'm fine. I, I was born in a Christian home. My mom and dad took me to church when I was little. I got it figured out. Verse, verse 4, Be ye not as your fathers unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. That's the problem. Every generation will have some particular sin that they struggle with. And maybe it's different from the generation before. In our generation right now, getting woke is the big thing. And we're struggling with that. A few generations back, it was a a scientific push. You know, everybody was going to evolution and trusting science and natural. There's always a, 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 a problem within the generation. Some sin, but at the core of it. The problem is you're not listening to what God is saying. That's the root that causes the fruit of sin. So he says in verse 5, your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words, oh, that lives on. Heaven and earth can pass away, but the word of God won't. But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? Oh, sure, they were under conviction. They felt it. They were shaken by the word of God. But each generation would say, oh, okay, we're, let's just kick against those pricks. Stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and in ears, You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye. He says, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. Each generation learns it. They just learn it too late. They look back and they go, you know what? Sure enough, what the prophet said three, four hundred years ago has, it's happened. And now we've been punished. That guy was a prophet. Our fathers had it wrong. Now we figured it out. Okay, we won't make that mistake again. And then what do they do? New prophet shows up and they do the same exact thing again. Thus saith the Lord. And the person in the padded pew thinks, ah, we're not that bad. Come on, what's he getting all excited and loud about? God, God's not upset with me, the wrath of God abiding on me. Come on, man, calm down. Preacher, calm down. Speak unto us smooth things. That's what they said to Isaiah. You didn't even go to a proper theological seminary. You don't have an accredited degree. 
That's what they told Amos. You're the one troubling the nation. We were just fine until you showed up and started talking about repent. You meanie, it's your problem. That's what Ahab told Elijah. You know, everything was fine and we were getting along just fine here in our nation with our traditional style of worship, with our cultural style of worship. Everything was fine until you showed up, Jeremiah, and said that we had to put away our idols and the worship of our ancestors and the worship of the Queen of Heaven. And you told us to go back to Jehovah, and ever since then, life has been one problem after another. Jeremiah, it's your fault. We never should have listened to you. You know what they did one after another? They had each of those prophets killed. And God said, okay, you know what? They've killed all these servants that I've sent. I'm going to send my son, and surely they'll listen to him. You remember the parable? Jesus said, and last of all, his son is sent. And they didn't kindly entreat him because they didn't learn the lesson. They thought we would never make the mistake that our fathers made. We're better than that. No, you're not. Because it all comes down to what you do with the word of God. You're either going to get lifted up with pride and say, I don't need that, or humble yourself. Tremble at the words of God and say, whatever it is that I need to change. I don't care if I've been doing it this way 50, 60 years. I don't want to miss out on the kingdom of heaven. And I don't want to take one more day without a personal relationship with God as told to me through Jesus Christ. These people had disappeared the key through religious pride. You can come back to Luke 11. I just want to show you one thing give you an illustration and we'll close in Luke 11 and verse number 49. I pointed out to you how the prophets and apostles, I mentioned how scribes is part of this as well. Notice what they did to the prophets in the Old Testament. They did to Jesus when he preached. And then after Jesus went back to heaven, what did they do to Jesus' disciples? They kept killing them and persecuting them. Why? Because they were just repeating what the other prophets had said. Do you see the two lines of history? There's one line that believes what God says and the other line doesn't believe it. Don't think that line has stopped. It still goes on today. Luke eleven forty nine. I will send them prophets and apostles. Friend, that didn't end in 100 A.D. The work of the apostles and prophets and scribes is still with us today. You're holding it in your hand. And it all comes down today. Listen, we're handing you the key. There's the key. You can say, nope, don't need that. I got my own thing. I do it my own way. Or you can say, give me the correct end of that sword. I want to properly apply it. I'm going to end this in, in perhaps a different kind of a place. Jesus told one of his closest disciples, Peter, Peter, I'm going away for a while, and where I'm going, you can't follow me. Peter said, hmm? I'm one of your closest disciples. I'd follow you anywhere. Prison, death, Lord, anything. And he said, listen, Peter, you cannot follow me now. I'm telling you, you can't do it. Peter said, not true. The Bible says in Mark 14, but Peter spake the more vehemently and said, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Jesus said, listen, you think that you would go anywhere for me. You're going to deny me three times. He said, not me. I would never do what you clearly just said I'm going to do. Can I speak plain? Is that all right with everybody? You folks in the back, can I, can I speak plain? One of the dumbest things you can do is argue with the Lord. <laughs> Man, good grief. You're crippled too high for crutches as soon as you start arguing with the Lord. <laughs> if Jesus said this is the way it is, just accept it. That's the smartest thing you'll ever do. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Just say, God, you know better than me. 
And God, if, if you say that there's a chance I can deny you, I'm going to take that serious. Not Peter. Peter said, oh, no, I would never do that. Religious pride. Trusting in his own commitment, I would never do that. But, but watch what happened. He spake the more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. And that verse ends off by saying, likewise, also said they all. Peter not only hurt his own chances of staying faithful, but he got all the other disciples to think, yeah, yeah, Jesus, we wouldn't do what you just said. His pride was contagious. And even though he didn't mean to do something wrong, he was actually just being overly zealous, it comes down to you accepting and then applying the Word of God, holding it at the right end. This is why I'm doing it, because the Lord loves me, and that's why I love Him, and now I want to do all these other things. I got that right. And Lord, if you tell me to do it, that's what I'm going to do. And Lord, if you said that there's a chance I can fall, I want to be careful. If you said that the way I live can affect other people going into the kingdom, if you said that the way I conduct my life can stop other people from knowing you, I want to take that seriously because that's what he said. You not only are hurting yourself, taking away the key of knowledge from yourself, but you took it from others. Maybe this week you push somebody farther away from God rather than getting them closer. You say, not me. Okay, Peter. But maybe you did. Paul said, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Smartest thing you'll ever do is say, God, I don't know how to run my own life. You tell me how to run it. Put the sword in my hands in the right direction. And God, please, show me more about you. I want to know you on that deep personal level so that I can tell others how sweet it is. Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is a free gift through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's pretty simple. But you're not going to get there if you're stuck on religious ritual, if you're hindered by religious hypocrisy, or if you're filled with religious pride. Let's all stand, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Take just a moment, please, and search your hearts. The pianist is going to come and play something softly. There's an altar open. If you'd like to come and talk to the Lord, take a moment. You're welcome to do so. Perhaps today you're a believer but you uh, haven't been extremely mindful of how your behavior affects those around you. Perhaps you've entered in. You have a relationship with the Lord, but you're not helping others. Perhaps today, and I understand we have a lot of visitors here, and maybe what we're doing now is not common to what you've seen done, or we, we in no way, no, we're, we don't want to make anything awkward for anybody. That's not the point of this. And that's why we have people's heads bowed and eyes closed, just to give privacy as much as we can. But if you're here today, and you've never been born again. I'm begging you, friend, don't let religious ritual, hypocrisy, or pride, don't let those things stop you from admitting that you need to be born again. So what does it mean to be born again? It's not a religious ritual. It's not your baptism. It's not taking the Lord's Supper. It's not standing behind a microphone and answering questions at your confirmation. I don't mind if you do those things, but that's not going to make you a child of God.
Being born again is receiving life. That's what birth is. You receive life. You want to be born again? Receive a new life. I'll tell you right where to find it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now there it is. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. There it is. The door's open. We haven't shut it today. We've opened it. Now, if you would like to come and receive Christ as your Savior, that's your decision. God said, turn unto me and I'll turn to you. Would you come? Would you come and say, preacher, I have never walked through the door of God's grace and received Jesus Christ as my Savior. But today I want that. Would you be willing to come today? The door is open. The keys to that relationship is waiting for you. Some are praying. We'll give you a moment to respond. Perhaps the Lord has touched your heart. And it's a bit intimidating to go all the way down to the front. Would you do this? If you got some questions about it, would you find somebody before you leave today? we got a lot of people in this room that would be happy to help you. Nobody's going to embarrass you. And just say, preacher, can I talk to you about that for a moment? We'll, we'll go aside privately. We'll try to answer your questions and help you with that. But we'd love for you to go home knowing God personally. You know, it might be real good. We're giving these folks just a moment or two to pray and gives you a chance to think on a thing or two. Just, just think about where you're at. You think I'm not making the same mistakes as my forefathers. Maybe not the exact same ones, but if you're living a life that is not in line with the Word of God, well, that kind of puts you in the same category with other generations that did the same thing. It's not going to work out any better. Maybe just take a step back. Try to see yourself through God's eyes. Father, thank you this morning for helping us. Lord, I, I believe we've preached what you said. And Lord, you had some hard things to say there. You didn't hold back. Thank you, Lord, for not holding back with us. For telling us the plain, clear truth. Oh God, help us not to be a hindrance to anyone. Help us, Lord, to hand out that key of knowledge as often as possible. And Father, perhaps some today are here and they have yet to be born again. Might this be the day they come to clearly see how much they need it. And Lord, might nothing stop them from coming to you as soon as possible. Father, thank you for this special day. Continue to meet with us as we go through the rest of this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, folks, thank you so much. Get home safe tonight, 515.